Hello, my name is David Runciman and this is Talking Politics. And this week we are talking Catalonia. How did we get to this situation? What happens next? And how bad could this be? Talking Politics is brought to you in partnership with the London Review of Books, Europe's leading magazine of books and ideas. We've already had some LRB writers on this podcast, John Lanchester, Mary Beard, and we hope to have some more soon talking about the state of democracy and the state of the world. As well as politics, the LRB has book reviews, essays about art, poetry and exhibitions. Whether you want to get a deeper understanding of world events or just get away from it all and read about Picasso and octopuses, the LRB will have something fascinating for you. In a few minutes, I'm going to be talking to Helen Thompson, Chris Brook, and also Brendan Sims, historian of Europe and someone who has been warning that this was going to happen for a long time. And as you'll hear, thinks this could be the death of Europe. But before that, a conversation I've just recorded with Mark Weller, who is Professor of International Law here in Cambridge, and has been involved in some of the most complex peace negotiations around the world, including in Kosovo, in Yemen. And he's chaired a commission at the behest of the Catalan government to answer the question, can Catalonia become an independent state? So before we get on to the really meaty politics of this, Mark is going to help us understand what the legal issues are, because that is the context that we need for knowing what the political issues are. I started by asking Mark, what is the question that his commission was told to answer? We were asked whether under international law, Catalonia can become or can be an independent state. And it is an effort by the Catalonian authorities to engage in due diligence before they move ahead with full independence to ensure that they have international law on their side, or at least that they don't offend against it. So first of all, can they become an independent state in law? In international law, yes. The very essence of this conflict is a clash between the Spanish legal order, which, of course, would prevent secession. There's a specific clause in the Spanish constitution which says that the unity of the state has to be preserved under all circumstances. But, of course, a campaign for independence is a campaign to remove oneself from the existing legal order and start a fresh one, to establish through a new social contract a new constitutional order that is no longer bound by the constitutional law of the previous state. So actually, the question has to be asked under international law. Because under, so just to be clear, any independence movement of whatever kind is going to break the law of its own state. Unless it goes without saying. If the central government agrees, as the United Kingdom would have done in relation to Scotland, as Ethiopia happened to do in relation to Eritrea, given the very particular historic circumstances there, there's no problem. So Spain will continue under this arrangement, whatever. Spain will continue, although it may face future challenges, say the Basques or the Galicians, who are watching this with some care, I would imagine. So the question here is, is there anything in international law first of all, which would prohibit secession, because international law is made by governments, and governments, generally speaking, want to preserve the territorial integrity and unity of existing states. So you would expect the international system certainly to privilege governments and their interests over those within states who are challenging governments. But uh, our conclusion is quite clear, based on the ruling of the International Court of Justice in the Kosovo case, it is now broadly accepted that international law is addressed mainly to states. 
So there exists an obligation to respect the territorial integrity of existing states, but it operates between states. So one state cannot conspire to undo the territorial integrity of another. However, this well-known and key obligations in international relations is not addressed at sub-state units. So it wouldn't preclude the Catalans from removing themselves from the authority of the overall Spanish state. But not being prohibited is slightly different from having a positive right to do something. If you do something which is not prohibited, you can get away with it if you succeed. It's a matter of effectiveness. If, on the other hand, you have a positive right, which in this case would be a right to self-determination, you are legally privileged, even while you are struggling to implement your aims. So there is no one to whom the Catalans can appeal outside of Spain in order to, as it were, enforce their right. It's simply for them to do it. Well, the first question is, do they have a right? So first of all, we said there's no prohibition, but does that translate itself into a positive right to secede? And that is much more difficult because states have generally rationed self-determination, which we think must be a fundamental entitlement of all, In fact, in the sense of secession, states have tried to ration it really to the colonial context, where suddenly in the 1950s and 60s, there was a universal consensus that colonialism had been historic evil and that we invent a rule of international law that retroactively helps to undo that evil. So you have a positive entitlement to challenge the claimed unity of the colonial empire and to win, in a way, under the doctrine of self-determination. The Yugoslav president has helped us to understand that there are also so-called cases of constitutional self-determination, where an entity has a certain status under a constitution, either written or unwritten, the UK and Scotland, where there's a kind of consensus. If they hold a referendum, the referendum is in favor of independence, they will go. It is agreed by the center and by the seceding entity that this will happen. But Spain, we found, is a slightly different case given the clear prohibition of unilateral secession in the Spanish constitution. And also because the referendum by the standards of the Spanish central authorities was illegal. Does does that not matter in this? That leads us to the next question. If you have a right to self-determination, how do you implement it through a referendum? But first of all, let me just continue the thought on self-determination if the constitution itself doesn't grant it to you. Is there another basis? And the argument we're making based on the Quebec president, where the Quebec Supreme Court very extensively asked, in a democratic society, in that case, even a federal-type system of Canada, can a unit unilaterally secede? The court found that perhaps there is no formal right of self-determination, depends on circumstances. If there's a clear expression of will by the people of the entity to leave the state, then the central state, whatever its constitutional provisions, cannot remain indifferent. It has to respond, and it has to at least negotiate in good faith. The Catalans argue that they have held a series of exercises of an act of will, and that at least for the last three, four, five years, they have attempted to negotiate with the Spanish government. In good faith. In good faith, and that the Spanish government has rebuffed this, And, of course, this uh, hostile attitude has increased very much recently in the run-up to the elections, when significant violations of human rights 
have been alleged on the part of the Spanish government trying to stop this referendum, which after all is an exercise of the will of the people. It's very difficult to argue in a democratic society that the people shouldn't speak. Uh, this referendum has been so strongly opposed by the Spanish authorities. So where do we stand now? So as we speak, as I was walking through our building to record this with you on the BBC News, it emerges that the Madrid authorities are still refusing to negotiate and take the invitation yesterday to begin these kinds of discussions as something that they are going to reject. At what point on your account do the Catalans have a right or just a, a basic ability to say that the other side won't negotiate with us in good faith and we just have to proceed anyway? Yeah, the Catalans, in a way, are doing the right things. They by are, pausing. So the, by the pause pausing. that we now have. Yes, is perhaps the result of legal advice they may have received because they have exhausted negotiations before the referendum. They were rebuffed in this rather heavy-handed way by the Spanish government. But rather than turning around and saying, OK, that's it, we are now independent, what they have done is, in a rather risky political move, uh, they have declared that they kind of declare independence, although it's not quite clear whether that declaration yesterday, on the 10th of October, was a declaration of independence. There's some ambiguity, I guess. If it wasn't, what was it? It was an intention to be independent, but its implementation has been suspended for a period of weeks to allow for negotiations. So, again, the Quebec president would have said, well, if independence is possible, at least it cannot be done entirely unilaterally. Again, the seceding entity, if the will of the people has been assessed, must engage in good faith in negotiations. And then it concluded, if, on the other hand, one of the two sides, either one, refuses to engage in good faith or frustrates negotiations, then can be expected that the international response to a secession will be more friendly. And who in the international order is being appealed to here? I mean, who's, it is, who's the audience? It is all other states who uh, would be invited once independence is activated to recognize. to recognize Catalonia. And, of course, that is very difficult. They will be reluctant to do so against the wishes of the Spanish government. A, not to assert relations with Spain, but also because they are afraid of a precedent that might at some stage come to haunt them. France announced the day before the declaration in Parliament yesterday that it would definitely not recognize. And the European Union, too, has given indications that it favors continued territorial integrity of Spain. In international law, status is a matter of fact. If you manage effectively to administer yourself in a territory in relation to a defined population, you can be a state. But whether you can actually enact your statehood through the international system depends on whether other states want to deal with you, whether they recognize you, and whether they offer you membership in international organizations. It is clear that Catalonia would be a new state. In relation to Scotland, it was already clarified that a new state of, the state of that kind would have to become afresh a member of the European Union, something over which Spain would have a veto, and similarly would have to apply to become a member of the United Nations, which, as Kosovo has found, is difficult if a permanent member of the UN Security Council opposes your campaign for statehood. So given those obstacles, 
is a three-week or month-long pause in order to say, look, we've, we've offered them this chance to negotiate and they've refused to take it. Is it going to make any difference? Well, it's not, I mean, that's not a legal question, that's a political question. It is a political question. And in terms of legitimacy, although I said earlier that there's no constitutional entitlement to self-determination, the Catalans in the speech yesterday have pointed to the fact that they tried autonomy the autonomy was agreed by the Spanish parliament, by their parliament, approved in referendum. But oddly enough, although this was therefore, in a sense, constitutionally arranged, overruled by the constitutional court. So they're saying we are not going lightly towards independence. We've tried autonomy. We've exhausted all the options. We have exhausted all the options. For years, we have tried to negotiate some other arrangement with Spain. They just refused to engage with us. And even now, although we have the strong mandate for independence, we have suspended the declaration to give another opportunity for talks. So all of this adds to the legitimacy of their case. But in the end, other governments really remain quite reluctant to recognize Catalonia. So if they go ahead in activating independence, they must be prepared for a fairly prolonged period where they have to demonstrate their ability to administer themselves independently as a state against the wishes of the Spanish government. Can they do that? I mean, again, I know this is not a legal question, but it's really hard to see, given where they are, if the proof is in acting like a state, can't the Spanish state make that almost impossible? Well, the key issue is the revenue. At present, Catalonia pays a significant amount of net contribution into the Spanish budget and then it receives something back, which is less than it pays in. And that means that all of the public services, hospitals, schools, everything else, is in fact funded ultimately from the Spanish central budget. If Spain refuses to remit that which Catalonia needs to keep these services going, then presumably two things will happen. A, it will strengthen the willingness of the Catalans, I think, to uh, say, no, we have to really become independent because if the authorities and social services and other items collapse attributably to the con- due to the conduct of Spain, I think uh, the situation will harden even more. And B, the Catalans may have to do what others have done, say Kosovo, to have a kind of parallel system of collecting taxes, trying to persuade companies and others to pay the taxes directly to them. And that will be difficult, I think, to maintain statehood. But most of the functions of the state are already exercised by Catalonian authorities. Isn't the calculation in Madrid that the opposite will happen of what you've just described, that rather than strengthening the Catalan desire to be an independent state, if the attempt to prove it in fact turns into a disaster on social welfare grounds, people will shy away from it? I'm not saying they're right, but that must be their calculation. And already, as it were, pushing the economic consequences is thought to be the reason why the Catalans are holding back. You're saying they have good legal reasons to hold back, but that's the calculation on the two sides for Madrid. This is a game of bluff, and they think they've got the cards. Well, it it depends also on the dedication of the Catalans to their cause. If they're willing, as it were, in a peaceful way, through economic and other measures of establishing their administration, to demonstrate that they can survive as a state, even if there are significant sacrifices, they may succeed. If, on the other hand, they feel, oh dear, this might be, after all, a little more complicated than we thought, and they step back, then the central government would have won. The one thing which is difficult to foresee is 
the Catalans stepping back without the central government offering some sort of major constitutional realignment within Spain. And at the moment, there's just absolutely no sign that the government is even willing to consider any sensible discussions. So that the position of the Catalans, as I understand it, is that yeah, independence is the only option, really. And you've seen conflicts around the world. You've been involved in peace negotiations. As a final question, are there significant risks here of violence, do you think? The Catalan authorities I've spoken to have always insisted very strongly that violence to them is an absolute red line. So they will not encourage any form of violence. But of course, as we saw, say, in the case of Kosovo, where the parties committed to a peaceful path failed to deliver that which the society expects, ultimately some splinter groups might form and they may no longer stick to such a red line and that would be a great shame. At the moment, the Catalan authorities are very, very strongly discouraging any violence, despite the fact that they have been met with quite a heavy-handed response by the Spanish authorities. The report that Mark Weller chaired is going to be published soon, and when it is, we will tweet it so you can read in detail what the legal arguments look like. I'm now joined by Helen Thompson and Chris Brook, and it's welcome to Brendan Sims, who's a historian of many things, including of Europe, the author most recently of Europe, The Struggle for Mastery, and also Britain's Europe. And Brendan has been interested in this question of Catalonia and its relationship to Spain for a long time. Brendan, if we just start with, and we're going to get beyond the legal questions now to the real politics of this, what for you is at stake in what's happening at the moment? Well, I think in the Iberian Peninsula, it's obviously the question of the future of Spain, whether it continues to exist in its current state form. But I think what is even more important is the future of Europe. I think the Catalan crisis has bowled Europe a ball, which it's simply not configured to deal with. And if it doesn't deal with this problem, it's exposed on many, many different levels. And the most obvious one being the question of the Spanish debt. You could actually get quite quickly from a Catalan crisis to a Euro crisis because of the issue of whether Catalonia will or can pay for the Spanish debt. And if we have a crisis there, the markets may think that that's in doubt. And so all the progress made by the Euro, supposedly, over the last five years or so would be for naught. And Helen, you'll know this better than me. So we haven't seen in the markets yet, have we, evidence of real skittishness about this? I mean, what do you think would be the point at which the markets would start running scared. Oh, they are somewhat skittish. I mean, what, what is striking is is that generally in the last couple of years, in fact, you might say longer than that, but given the political shocks there have been in 2016, 2017, the markets have kind of ridden most of them out. You know, we might all die because of North Korea and the bond markets aren't particularly bothered. But actually, they have... No, apocalypse is fine for them because that's like off the <laughs> Yeah, but actually charts. they have been politically reacting to utterances almost second by second at times as to what's going on in Spain. So when you listen to the abortive, shall we say, declaration of independence on Tuesday, the markets think, frankly, this really is going to happen. And then you get increased risk on Spanish debt. And then they think, oh, it's not going to happen yet. So Spanish bonds prices recover. So this is something that actually has penetrated through into the markets in a way that very few political developments of the last few years actually have. We were hearing from Mark Weller just now that partly this is a game of legal brinkmanship. Who can claim that the other people haven't been acting in good faith? But it's also a question of economic and financial brinkmanship. And we've heard in the last 24 hours that there may have been legal advice given to the 
Catalan government, but some of the pressure has also been from Catalan business. I mean, I don't know if this is true or not. Some of whom were broadly supportive of the stance being taken, but have started to get cold feet about what it might mean. Where do you see the balance at the moment? Who's most frightened? Who's got most to lose in the short term, do you think? At the moment, it's clearly the Catalans. And there's a a Catalan business group which has been putting pressure on the Catalan government in, in this connection. But Madrid is actually equally vulnerable. So if Madrid were really to pull the trigger economically, they would hurt themselves because you're dealing with, you know, something like 20% of the Spanish economy. And of course, an audience out there which is looking to see whether the Spanish debt, as we've discussed, is actually sustainable. Is it just a matter of the Spanish debt or is there also a question of the debt that the Catalan government has at the moment? There's a real problem because Catalan doesn't have investment grade rating from the credit rating agencies it's effectively junk bond it's sort of disguised as being sort of presented in something other than that but it is actually a problem and I I think that is a real constraint on what the Catalan government can do because it wouldn't be able to borrow anything like the rates that it can at the moment even before you get onto the question of how it sorts out debts with Spain and what the effect of that would be on Spanish bonds, what the effect of that would be on the euro. And the ECB, which, when all said and done, has been basically propping the eurozone up with quantitative easing for the last um, two years, could pull the plug on the Catalan government pretty much instantly. I think I agree with all of that, but I think it's worth also remembering that the fundamentals economically in Catalonia are very strong. And so if it, if it were possible to disengage peacefully or to overcome the disruption of disengagement, then Catalonia could be set to do extremely well. So I think all sides here have got to be really careful not to kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. The Catalans are a much stronger position than many people think. And clearly on this question, as on so many questions, the view from Brussels would be, I wish it would go away, or at least I wish we could kick it down the road. And so it's been kicked down the road for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is the real fear there? And what's the point at which people in Brussels will also start to think we can't shirk this issue? Well, Brussels' tendency has always been to kick the can down the road, to ignore a problem until it's absolutely in their face. We saw that over Brexit. Uh, We've seen that over many other crises. But I think the problem for Brussels is that it simply doesn't have an intellectual framework, a satisfactory one, to understand the problem. So it's on the one hand, it's saying we believe in supranationalism, We need to uh, overcome the nation-state and all collaborate. And ultimately, we want to be in one united Europe. And yet the Catalans, who themselves wish to remain part of the European project, and in fact many of whom, including Artur Mas, the former Prime Minister, are sympathetic to the idea of the United States of Europe, they're being told that their activity is not, not welcome. And so I think the European Union would need to decide whether it's a federation or a confederation of nation states. Talking Politics is brought to you in partnership with the London Review. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You have books. Mark Weller told us about the difference with the Scottish case. But what are the parallels there? Because after all, Scotland would, those who want an independent Scotland, would also like to see Scotland transcend the UK into some wider European vision. Are these cases analogous? Well, they are up to a point, but I think there are really fundamental differences. And the first point to make is that England is transcended through the United Kingdom. 
And so Scotland participates on a supranational basis in the United Kingdom. And of course, in Spain, that's not the case. It's, it's much more decentralized than many people realize. But it is a Spanish nation state, and it recognizes only nationalities. So the analogy would be if Catalonia were already in a union of kingdoms and parliaments with Spain, which is not the case. There is only one Spanish state. And of course, the other factor is that the United Kingdom is a voluntary product of a vote taken under what was then considered participatory circumstances in 1707, whereas, of course, Spain was united by force on many occasions in 1707. And perhaps you have the constitution of 1978, but then you could argue, well, just as the Scots have the right to go back on 1707, do the Catalans not have the right to reconsider 1978? What I was struck by last week in that episode of police brutality in Catalonia was the way in which pro-independence activists were calling on the European Commission to issue a statement and to condemn the Spanish government and so on. And then, of course, what happens is the European Commission issues a statement that's much more sympathetic to the claims of the Spanish government than the independence activists want. But we're seeing this again and again, I think, in aspects of the Euro crisis, that it's Spain that is a member of the European Union. And however much the European Union talks about cosmopolitan right or the rights of individuals or the rights of territorial subunits within the community, in the end, the European Union is a club of member states. And the relevant member state here is Spain. We are seeing that playing out in a different way over the Brexit process, where suddenly it's very clear that the European Union will go to bat for the interests of Ireland, Ireland being a member state, now that the United Kingdom is withdrawing from the club. And I think we're seeing that in with Spain and Catalonia too, that there's a natural bias of the Commission to be in favour of the member that's actually a member of the club. I think it's more than that, though. Spain isn't just a member of the European Union. Spain has actually become a privileged member of the European Union. If you look at the way that the Euro crisis has been dealt with at crucial episodes, you go particularly go to the autumn of 2011, when the ECB wrote to both the Spanish government and the Italian government, basically telling them what legislation they were going to pass over the next two months. Neither of them did it. In the case of Spain, nothing actually happened. In the case of Italy, Berlusconi was removed from power by the actions of a combination of Angela Merkel, Sarkozy, the ECB president and the Italian president. If you look at the way in which the fiscal pact has been run, is Spain has constantly been let off the hook. Indeed, um, Rajoy himself denounced the commission targets for reducing Spain's budget deficit the very day the fiscal pact was formalised. So the idea, I think, that either the commission or that the powerful states are going to act against the Spanish government in this is a non-starter. So is that looking from the outside? It's not something I, I know a lot about, but I, like I imagine a lot of people have been surprised, not just by the strength of feeling on the Catalan side, but to put it politely, the robustness of the response mm. from Madrid part of which seems to be driven by the feeling that they do have a strong hand to play. I mean, they, they don't look like weak negotiating partners here. They feel like they can call the Catalan bluff. Is part of that from what you've said, because they do feel like they have a privileged status within the European project and they, they can count on the backing of the people they need outside of Spain? I think that it's two things. It goes back to the point that Brendan made. It's about the conception of what the Spanish state is. Is, is that actually, ultimately, I think any British Prime Minister in the face of a referendum in Scotland be willing to let Scotland freely leave the United Kingdom. That person might not like it, but 
there would not be the use of coercion to stop it happening. But, that right, is, but, but the agreement on the referendum would have happened in the Westminster yeah, Parliament mm-hmm, anyway. Yeah. That's the difference, yeah, but, isn't it? But ultimately, will England and the rest of the United Kingdom use force to keep Scotland in the Union? No. But they will use force in, in Madrid to keep Catalonia in this state. It's not a union in the same way. It is, as Brendan mm-hmm. says, um, a state. So I think that's the first thing. They're just absolutely adamant about the territorial integrity of Spain and they think that what states do in the face of challenges to their territorial integrity is to use coercion that's what states have as their ultimate um, weapon and the second thing is is that Rajoy in particular thinks that the powerful players in the European Union will be on his side and I'm not going to have a confrontation with him. So just to I don't want to get bogged down in that UK analogy but the equivalent would be if the Scottish Parliament or the Westminster Parliament refused say to allow a second Mm -hmm. referendum and the Scottish Parliament and maybe the SNP have been wiped out in Westminster but they're still the government in Scotland and they decide to hold a unilateral referendum and that referendum votes for independence on terms that the Westminster Parliament doesn't recognise. Are you really saying that the Westminster government would not, it depends what you mean by coercion here, but would not put up a fight? I think that it would put up a political... It's very hard to get into that scenario, by the I way. I, should I think it might put up a political fight. I do not think you would see repeats of the scenes that we saw in Catalonia when the referendum took place. I think what's very important here as well is how it changes the European Union's dynamic vis-à-vis Britain over Brexit, particularly the claims to protect European Union citizens' rights within the UK after Brexit, because it's going to be quite difficult to make that argument that these rights have got to be protected against a UK government in a context where other European Union citizens are not merely being affected in their rights in places like Hungary and Poland, which are places, uh, you might say, perhaps unfairly, that, you know, they're places of which one knows nothing. But in the case of Barcelona, that's very much in your face. Everybody knows Barcelona, they know the football team. And the scenes of Spanish national police beating Catalan demonstrations this way, and the European Union not, um, as Chris said, actually responding, that's done a huge amount of damage. And I think it's going to make it much more difficult for them to act as the advocate for European Union citizens' rights in the UK after Brexit. And I think it's going to make it much more difficult for Remainers to argue that the European Union is a defender of rights in this country, which I've always thought is a strange argument, given the developments of rights in this country. But in any case, I think it's going to complicate matters. So this is going to play into so many different debates. And of course, if there's a crisis in Catalonia beyond what we've already seen, and everything gets very difficult, that's going to affect the whole dynamic between London and Brussels because the entire security and stability of the continent will be in play. In a way, what you described, there are two scenarios that could affect Brexit, one of which is just events, including a financial crisis being triggered by this. I mean, you know, A lot of people have thought, if the Brexit negotiations take two years, three years, four years, the idea that the euro is going to get through that period without existential mm-hmm. threats that mm-hmm. distract everyone's attention is, is wishful thinking. But also plays more directly into the negotiating stances of the two sides. So that's the bit I'm less clear about in that, does that assume a kind of joined up thinking in Brussels, where they might see, well, we risk here, making what we're trying to do over here more difficult? Mm -hmm. Doesn't Europe operate in a different way? Whereas what the left hand is doing is really of no interest to what the right hand is doing? I think there's uh, joined up thinking neither in Brussels nor in London at the moment. But I think there is a certain geopolitical pattern, which is going to assert itself which is that if there is a threat to the Union's southern flank, it will find it much more difficult to deal with the threat from Britain. And that if things get really difficult, there will be a tendency in London to exploit the difficulty of the European Union on its southern flank. 
And what I think is interesting is the extent to which public opinion in this country, and in fact in many places, is pretty pro-Catalan, even in you know, conservative newspapers, particularly perhaps in papers like the Sunday Times, the Daily Mail, they see this as a European failure, which of course it is. And so it, it strengthens their argument over Brexit. But in a way, that fits with the pattern of Catalan nationalism, that until very recently, it was a largely bourgeois phenomenon, and it was the popular party in Spain that was never especially large, never especially popular in Catalonia, because the kind of people who would vote for the PP elsewhere in Spain were voting for the nationalists in Catalonia. And what we've seen in over the last few years, and here I think there is both a parallel to the Scottish case and a parallel to support for Brexit, we've seen a movement that whose support was for a long time concentrated in bourgeois and intellectual circles, spreading to a much broader constituency. In all three of those cases, in part, it's been at the expense of the the centre-left. And I wonder whether that extent to which, for decades now, Catalan nationalism has been a respectable bourgeois phenomenon does make it easier for conservatives to sympathise with it in international media coverage. So how does this fit into a kind of left-right view of politics in that we may see a dramatic shift in in the UK? We could move from a conservative government to what is probably going to be, by our standards, a far-left government. How does that relate to what's going on in Catalonia? I think that the two things to see here are, first of all, that the the party that's leading this politically is of the centre-right, and that fits with what Chris was saying earlier. Though this party, it should be said, did not actually used to be secessionist. It used to be in favour of more autonomy, but not in favour of secession. But the other context is what happened, again, with the Eurozone crisis in the aftermath of what happened in 2008. Is, is you know, like There were millions of people demonstrating in the streets across Spain, not actually just in Catalonia in 2011. As out of that, that Podemos came as a political party, and that also in Catalonia fueled Catalan nationalism. This is a mixture of a, of a centre-right party that's moved in the direction of secession with the populist left mobilising from the ground up and some of the disputes that have been going on, though not, I think, ultimately the fundamental dispute of the last 10 years, have arisen about how to deal with the austerity measures that the Eurozone authorities demanded of Spain, particularly in, as a condition of Spain having its bank bailout in 2012. So how do we think this is going to play out if we're now in this brief hiatus but it won't last long. It may not last beyond today. A lot depends on how the Catalans respond to what was said in Madrid in response to what was said in Catalonia yesterday. But if you look a month ahead, Brendan, what do you, how do you see it? Well, I think, first of all, I'd like to say I don't think it's a question really of left or right. I think it's a question of identity and state construction. So you have a Catalan nation, the existence of which seems to me absolutely clear. And the question is, does that Catalan nation require a separate sovereign state? Could it perhaps be like Scotland in a union of nations with the rest of Spain? That's a possibility. Or could you have a separate Catalonia within the current EU framework? Or, which seems to me actually the only solution, could you have a separate Catalonia and a separate Spain within a United States of Europe, in which, as it were, the difference between Catalonia and Spain would be like the difference between Virginia and West Virginia, constitutionally? That's actually the only satisfactory solution. The problem is that Brussels is not yet at that point. It has, as it were, boiled the national state in the pot to a certain point that it's actually difficult for national states to deal with separatist and other movements. But it actually hasn't provided a union state in which everybody can 
exist on an equal basis. So where does that leave us? Well, I think the Catalans have been very smart, the Catalan nationalists. They're pausing. It's in no sense off the agenda. This problem will come back. And just as anybody who knew anything about this could predict 18 months ago that we would be in a crisis exactly now, and there were people who predicted that, we can predict that the Catalan crisis will return. And it has the capacity either to transform the European Union, to get Europeans to think about how these bits can fit together, or to destroy it. And I'm afraid at the moment, it looks much more likely to do the latter. I can't see a path that leads in any way from the, this crisis to something that looks like political union in the European Union. Neither do I think that that is simply a question of the fact that Brussels not being up to speed and trying to get to a, a destination. I think that all kinds of issues that make the European Union becoming an actual political union extraordinarily difficult. I do think that the mechanism by which this turns into a European crisis, though more generally, is the one that you, we talked about earlier, and that is reigniting the Eurozone crisis and particularly reigniting Spanish debt. Because essentially, the Eurozone has moved from its peak crisis, if you like, which was in the summer of 2012, before Draghi made his whatever-it-takes speech. And the two countries that essentially were the core of the crisis were Spain and Italy. And if you look at what's happened since, then Spain has been in a much better position than Italy um, has. We can already see, I think, a path that could possibly lead to a Eurozone crisis in Italy before getting onto any kind of territorial questions. What the Catalonian crisis does is to put... Spain back at the heart of the Eurozone crisis potentially and I think I'm not saying there will be a crisis of this kind but that is what the risk is and there lies the potential for European disintegration. I agree with that I think that's the most immediate effect the one that will happen first but I think we shouldn't exclude many other dangers I mean I think the Spanish state is in a, in a frame of mind in which it could use violence in a large conventional kinetic way to suppress the Catalan aspirations and if that were to happen, we could be in a long period of civil unrest, even civil war. And we have to think about, you know, what happened in, in the 1990s in Europe. You had a crisis running like that in, in former Yugoslavia. For a long time, there was no intervention. It severely damaged the European Union. But eventually, there was intervention. And the question would be, speaking as a geopolitician, which is going to be the intervening power? Is the United States, Britain, which of course is present in the Mediterranean, in Gibraltar and Cyprus, if Catalonia were to be extruded from Spain and the European Union, could there be some new design for the Mediterranean, rounding off the Foreign Secretary's project in CERT, for instance? Uh, you have to think about these things. I think there's really an awful lot to play for. And I just want to add that this idea of embedding Catalan nationalism within a larger European whole is something that actually the Catalans themselves have stressed. So the former President Arthur Mas, who in fact visited Cambridge, said, and I think, again, this shows the constitutional dimensions, he said, I would like Catalonia to be Massachusetts in the United States of Europe. If I cannot be that, why can I not be Austria? And that is a question that the European Union cannot answer. The United Kingdom has an answer. Its structure between England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. The European Union cannot answer that question, why there should be some national states but not others, within a free and democratic system. So just funny, can I pick you up? Because I do struggle to think about this. I totally take your point that we should think about it. What the worst case scenario here looks like in terms of civil conflict. As you say, Barcelona is a place we know, at least we feel like we understand what Spanish society is like comparable to ours. It has a particular cultural resonance for us, but also it's, it's similar to ours in the sense it's... Um, 
Okay, it hasn't been a democracy for that long, but it's more than one generation. It's a relatively elderly society, lots of pensioners, lots of students, problems with unemployment. But mm-hmm. none of the dynamics to this point mm-hmm. have produced what looked like classic forms of civil conflict mm-hmm. and unrest. I take the point that this could, and yet when you say kinetic force, I find it really hard to imagine that it would. Am I being naive? Well, force has already been used. Yeah. Uh, proportionate or disproportionate to the problem. So the question would be, you know, at what stage would the Catalan government begin to establish effective control over its borders, for instance, and all the things which, as you say, are, are required, and Mark Weller spoke about, required for establishing that you have an independent existence. Now, if Madrid wishes to stop that, it needs to use some form of coercion. And I'm not saying it wouldn't under a certain construction of, or even conventional constructions of law, be entitled to do so. But the result will be conflict. And it will be conflict in a context where the European Union doesn't have the instruments to deal with it. The major player in Europe, the United States, is off the reservation on almost everything um, and certainly not interested in intervening in Europe. And you have a United Kingdom which is leaving the European Union but which has extensive interests in the Mediterranean and a long-standing historical relationship with the peninsula. In fact, the end of Catalan independence in 1714 was a result of Britain abandoning the Catalans at the tail end of the War of the Spanish Succession. So these are really very deep waters and we don't know, you know where they will end. What this crisis is showing is, is that questions that actually most of the time in politics over the last 20, 30 years that people haven't wanted to think about, which is actually the question of consent to political authority and power and the question of who belongs to the political community, are back with a vengeance. Mm. In the world in which we live of the modern nation states, and people don't want to think that we still live in the world of modern nation states, but generally we do, states either have to have some sense of national identity, it can be very weak, but people actually have to want to be part of a singular political community that can be federalised, but ultimately there has to be some aspects of singularity to it and at least acquiesce, if not consent, to the political authority of the state that rules over it. All the state is going to end up using coercion against them to keep them in that union. That's what the history of states and nations tell us. And that's why I think so sceptical about the idea that the European Union can create a political union because I don't understand where the idea of this workable European people is going to come from if you look at the senses of identity that already exist but these are the hardcore political questions how do you get people to acquiesce to particular states authority and and power and what we're seeing in Spain at the moment is is the mechanisms by which that has been done since the reintroduction of democracy have broken down in a part of Spain and they may also break down in other parts of Spain as well as the crisis develops. I completely take that that is politics I still think we don't know whether states like the 21st century Spanish state actually do have the political will to use that kind of coercion. My instinct is that it doesn't. I think we've already seen that they do. I mean, I think that... Depends, yeah, so it depends what we mean by that kind of yeah. coercion. There still seems to me a, a qualitative difference between the kind of use of force that we've seen so far and what Brendan was talking about. As soon as you invoke the example of the early 90s and the Balkans, mm. we're talking about something that's off the charts relative to what we've seen. Just to give you an example, when the uh, Guardia Civil set off from bases in, in Spain, there were people in other parts of Spain cheering them on, saying, go get them, 
you know, which is not- and, and and again, people in Britain have been shocked by the kind of slogans that have been held up. They've been shocked, and they shouldn't be, by how raw Spanish history is because it's not that long ago. I'm not in any sense saying that this is some interesting experiment in how far a democratic state is willing to go, but it will teach us lots of things that we maybe don't know at present about that question. Thank you to Brendan, Helen, and Chris. We're going to come back to this question. I always say that, but we always do. In future weeks, we've got some really interesting guests coming up. We'll be speaking in a couple of weeks to John Gray. Shortly after that, we're going to be talking to David Miliband. If you want to find out more about us, please go to our website, talkingpoliticspodcast.com, where you can also email us if you have any questions about things that we've talked about, and we will try and talk about them in future weeks. Do please join us then. My name is David Brunselman, and we've been Talking Politics. The audience will be thoroughly, thoroughly confused at the end of it. That's, right. that's, that's, the, that's the service that we offer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're the podcast that complicates things that were already quite complicated.